Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the Good Time Show. If you're listening to us for the first time, this is Arthi. And this is Freedom. And we like hosting optimistic conversations with builders. Whether you're a builder in the world of technology, in the world of fashion, sports or entertainment, we like talking to people who are creating and building things. And we've done a few episodes so far. And tonight we had a really great guest. Yeah, I mean, you know, whenever we do this intro, we talk about having people from the world of tech and entertainment, but very rarely do have somebody from sports. And today, you know, you know, what really surprised me, Meta, you know what really surprised me? Is that not only did we get deep into basketball and professional athletics, but he's just a generous, warm, open uh, human being. And very rarely do you get to talk to somebody who has such an intriguing story, but it was just so open that, you know, it's just so fun. Yeah, and we talked a lot about, uh, obviously, him winning the NBA championship and being a part of the winning team. But we also talked about mental health. And we talked about having a winning mindset and like what it takes to cultivate that. And we also talked a lot about what he does now. You know, he's after his career uh, in the NBA, what he's doing now in the world of technology and his world of you know, NFTs and all of that. So that was really fascinating as well. Yes, and if you grew up in the 90s, like I did, and, you know, if you thought about Ron Artest, you thought like big, physical, scary guy, somebody, you know, you don't want to throw down with on the basketball court. So you kind of see his story go from that to kind of being the voice of calmness and the voice of technology. It is amazing. So let's just, you know what, without any further ado, let's get right into it. Enjoy. Meta World Peace. Live from San Francisco, it's The Good Time Show. And now your hosts, Arti and Sriram. Meta, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Nice being with you and Arti. It's amazing being here. Bad. No, no, thank you. Thank you for being here. How are, how are you doing? How are things? Good. Everything's good. You know, just you know, retired for five years. So kids are in college, you know, uh, everybody's getting ready for you know their next chapter. So I kind of took a little break when I, after I retired because I wanted just some time off from basketball. But now I'm getting back a little in the mix of things. Mm-hmm. But it's been- so you have one of the most interesting stories and we're going to get into all of it. But we are recording this, you know, the day before game six of the NBA finals. And, you know, it, this is a stage you know very well. Maybe the Celtics fans don't want to actually remember how we know this very, very well. And, you know, so you know, walk us through, you know, what it feels like to be on this stage. The grandest game of all, you've grown up as a kid, and now you're there, everyone's watching you. What does that feel like? Right now, it's about calmness. You know, it's about just being censored. It's about, you know, just staying in the moment, right? You don't, you don't really want to notice anything that's happening right now. You don't want to notice that it's pressure. You just want to be in the moment and just trust in yourself. And, and so if, when, you, when you were doing the finals, right? Like, you know, and there's so many, we're going to get to probably, you know, the famous, you know, Game 7-3, but did you have a, a game day routine? You know, we, we just like, I'm not going to read anything. I'm not going to watch TV. You know, I'm not going to watch ESPN or social media. What was your routine like? Yeah, you know, um, my, my routine, I typically would go to bed at about, I would say, 3.30. You know, um, try to get try to get a nap before the game. And, you know, you have you have shoot around about 10. So I used to eat a little bit of breakfast before shoot arounds. And then after shoot arounds over, you go home, you lunch about, a quick snack about 11, but I typically tried to eat, you know, four hours before a game. But when I got older, they advised us to eat six hours before a game, 
right? They want our stomachs to be empty versus a little bit full. Cause they say the body. So I learned that later in my career. And that was something I wish I would have done earlier in my career. And, you know, I was watching, you know, I've been doing so much preparation for this. I was watching, you know, a lot of your interviews. And I think you talked about how in some ways, maybe the, one of the easiest parts of like the whole thing is the actual game itself, mm-hmm. right? Once you get on court, as opposed to the noise, yeah. the press, the pressure, you know, these days, social media, like, you know, where you one of these guys who are like, just kind of like, I'm going to tune it all out. And, you know, I'm not going to like, you know, LeBron goes into kind of like blackout mode. I'm just going to listen to things, stay in a thing. Like what, you know, what was your like mental mindset like? Yeah, I think the real, yeah, it's true. Staying in the moment because when you're a young player, you go through different things emotionally because you're just not ready for the moment, mm-hmm. right? It's a, it's a big moment, cha- championship games or playoff games, you know, and a lot of things is going through your mind, but that's because you're also not experienced. So as you become more experienced, you, you also want to become tough at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think having that, that center, I truly believe being calm the, is, is your biggest weapon because you're aware of everything. You're, you're aware that you're going to execute in those moments. You know, and that was something that I learned from, you know, Derek Fisher, from Kobe, you know, because I never won a title before I got to L.A. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would often ask guys for advice, you know, how to not only work in the game, but also the spiritual part, mm-hmm. you know, the calm part. Okay, so I want to, you know, we're going to get into Kobe, we're going to get into, you know, Game 7s, but I want to kind of go back to the beginning, right? So you grew up in Queensbridge, you know, you get drafted, you know, you wind up in yeah. Chicago and the Bulls, you know, you grew up idolizing MJ, like, you know, like, you know, like pretty much like Most half the known, half the yeah. known universe. But yeah. the team you join isn't the iconic Bulls team from the 90s. It's actually a team going through a rebuild, right? Like, and so, oh. <laughs> and so how was it like for you? Because, you know, you're coming out, you kind of made it, you know, you got out of Screensbridge, you're coming here into the NBA, right? But now they're tanking, they're losing, right? Like, what, what, how, how did that impact you as kind of like a young guy, you know, just coming in? Well, I didn't expect to lose that many games. I expected to lose some games, but not, you know, we won 13 games one year. I was there. Mm-hmm. And that really took a toll because I was just asking myself, am I good enough? You know, am I not good enough? You know, we're losing so much. I'm I'm doing all I can. And that was really, really stressful. And I remember just not being able to deal with that adversity, you know, at, th- at that age. Mm-hmm. And it was tough. You know, I was grateful because I did play with the Bulls, but I couldn't really get past that. We were losing you know, so many games. Do you think young players today, you know, I think you once said like young players today may be too quick to ask for a trade or be like, hey, I want to get out of the situation. Like, do you think like people today, you know, do they handle it better or worse when they come out of school and, you know, and they're like in a losing situation? I think so. I think nowadays, um, well, I think anytime you get traded or something like that, you, you take it personal. Let me forget that it's a business, right? So the teams that they have to do their job, but as a player, we become attached. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's family because it's really all is what we love, and is you know we don't think about money or things like that when you're playing the game. Right. So some players take it really personal. You know, I, when I got traded from Chicago, I remember just being like, "Oh man, my whole leg, everything's gone. Everything I wanted and I and I worked for is gone." You know, because Chicago was my favorite team as a kid. I was emotionally attached to Chicago. Yeah. I hear yeah. Like we all was. And that was kind of a difficult moment, even though I could have done things to stay there because I was kind of getting in trouble when I was in Chicago. But, you know, I think, you know, just that attachment because you love the game so much, it don't matter where you play at. Once you play with that team, that's like your family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, so I think a uh, question 
for me is like, you know, when you think about younger players, you're saying, you know, trades are basically a part of the business. It's not really personal. So if you had to go back and do it all over again, what would you have you done differently there? Is it just like handling it, fully understanding yeah. that this was just, it's just business, it's not personal, but what would have you done differently? You can go to the office, right? And yeah. just go, hey. And you know, I think sometimes as players, we don't really feel that we want to be front to face to face with somebody saying we want to be traded, you know? Right. Like, so maybe some players, maybe go to the media, some players might, like, I was a player that, maybe said stuff in the media, you know, like, oh, I don't want to be here. But it's just only because the camera is in front of me. Right. And the microphone there, right. and I feel like I have no voice. And sometimes athletes, you know, it's a thin line that you want to play as an athlete, yeah. you know, uh, with giving so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, when you're, Especially when you're on the emotion. Yeah. But I think you know, there's ways to get things done. And I think that's the advice I would give myself. And you would try to have people trust you that, hey, Right. Is when you when you want to trade, it's a way to go about it because you want to keep the relationships long term. Mm -hmm. yep. You want to keep you know all the team happy. You know, like, hey, I'm gonna trade this guy. Is okay, you know, maybe one day he wants to be a coach, and he had a good relationship going on. Oh. You know, I think this is actually quite true in our world too. Which is, you know, when I was younger, you know, the offense situation where I just want to kind of like cut and run. You know, there's a bad manager or a bad team situation. And to be honest, looking back. You know, now it kind of all worked out, but at the time I should have probably stuck it out more. And, you know, and it's a summer situation where I did stick it out. It, you know, the, even, you know, even the act of persevering, you know, was such a formative experience and wound up with so many good things. And, you know, you actually made an interesting point too, because, and I was listening to Katie on, you know, to JJ Reddick recently. And Katie was talking about, you know, when he was in the early years of OKC, he didn't really know that he had impact on the front office, right? He was like, well, my job is, you know, I put on the jersey, I play ball, who are they sticking on me is a team I play with. But as opposed to then he kind of grew up and then he was like, well, I can have impact. So he's talking about, for example, the hard and trade, right? Yeah. And do you think like that's also dynamic when you're young, you don't really know like, you know, like the kind of pool and impact you can have at the front office, right. and, you know, how the kind of behind the scenes of the business works. I mean, it's true. I mean, essentially you're an employee, but you have a voice. The office is open, right? So you can actually have conversations with the coaches, with the general managers, if you want, you know, depending on how it's, it's set up. But yeah, it, it's wide open. And if you have a, an opinion, yeah, why, why not? Mm -hmm. Especially if it's going to make the team better. Now, I don't know if you'll be able to just, you know, act as a general manager, as a player, but I think like having that conversation, mm -hmm. you can sway someone's opinion. It, you know, I want to get yeah. really deep into like you playing defense a little bit, but you know, I, if I think about like that era of like, you know, you know, Ron Artest, right? Like, you're one of the yeah. strongest dudes in the NBA. You actually, throughout the career, you're one of the strongest dudes in the NBA, right? Like, you know, up there in contention, winning, like, defensive player of the year, right? When did you kind of go through that shift to be like, hey, you know, I'm not able to shoot the ball, you know, I, I, you know, like, but, you know, I'm going to be, you know, the next Rodman. I'm going to have an impact in every play. I'm going to make the, the game rough and physical and unclean. When did you kind of go through that mindset transition? Yeah, man. So I, I think like as a kid, I wasn't, a, I didn't start out as a scorer. So I really had to learn defense early. Then it started to come together. So as I got older, I was always playing tough and trying to get stops, but I was also able to score. When you play with other teams, everybody's good. So I don't have to score. I can just play defense. So for a long time in my career, I was playing just a lot of defense and not really like, you know, working on scoring even though I'm still scoring the ball. 
you know, um, when I got to the NBA, that kind of, it kind of showed the flaws in my game, offense, you know, but defensively, I developed that as, as a kid with my dad in Queen's Project playing on 12th Street. We would just play basketball all night, running full court. I got, I build endurance and I always wanted to get stops. And it, also in my neighborhood and on the court, if you wanted to play and if you wanted to play, you had to win, right? And if you want to stay on the court, you got to win. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of picked that up early so I could always stay on the court. Do you think, you know, when I think about you, I think of people like, say, Rodman, for example, you know, maybe Draymond, like in a modern game, like really physical guys, you know, you know, sometimes get into trouble, you know, kind of like culture person in the locker room. Now, there's kind of this, always this narrative, which is the game has gotten softer, right? Like what the refs call, you know, like, you know, like the, the Pistons of the early 90s, you know, could not have maybe, you know, gotten away with lot they do. Do you think that's true? Do you think the game's gotten softer? Do you think like a Rodman or a you would have done differently today? Like, what do you think? Well, I, th- I think it's actually coming back, but I think we're talking about from the, from the year 2013 till about 2017-18, the game was a little soft, I thought, the way they were calling the fouls. But now the last two years, it's been really physical, right? And you, you see, and it's, so it's like a shift. They're trying to find a balance, it looks like. And even the players are playing more physical. But I think it, it is definitely different than when I came into the league. When I came into the league, I think it was at the tail end of the, the you know, the, the 90s style of basketball. Because yeah. I came in 99, 2000. So it was still aggressive during that time, which was really fun for me because that's like right up my alley. They started to change the rules slowly and slowly started to really change, change the rules. And we, if we could have played how they play now, we're just shooting or threes and open game. I think we could have did it. We had, we had enough good shooters. So I, I, I do like today's style. I think it's fun. Who do you think is the closest in style to you today? Like I think of something like Pat Beverly. You know, kind no. of getting under everyone's skin, maybe get into trouble. I think Draymond's another good example. Like, do you think there's anybody you're like, oh, this is kind of like not me, but maybe kind of in the same vein as what I used to? I think like Kawhi, I think like Marcus Smart to a year, you know, I'm probably definitely, definitely Marcus Smart. Like I would say Jalen Brown, you know, guys like that is kind of how I played. You know, play both sides, defense and offense. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, uh, and, and Kawhi is the best at it. You know, Kawhi is just like one of those guys where I'm like, oh, wow. He, he's continuing to inspire because my career was choppy, right? So I didn't get a lot of the awards that I would have had if I would have had more of a stable career. When you look at a guy like Kawhi, you see, you see him like he's maximizing his play on the court. Um, on defensive offense, and specifically because he, the way he plays mm-hmm. is what attracts me to him. His defense and his offense, you know, and then his calmness, you know, people question certain things about him, but when he's on the court, he's there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he, he's super effective. So I think his game is something I really like. Uh, okay. I want to get back to You said the word choppies. I'm going to get into it, right? So, I mean, you know, like, the one of the defining moments, I think, not just for you, but the NBA is obviously the brawl, malice in the palace, right? And, you know, I was kind of listening to some of your stuff. And I think one of the interesting things which I realized was you and Ben Wallace going into it, right? Like, you guys were just very competitive for, you know, being the, the number one defensive guy. Uh, you didn't really kind of yes, like hate yes. each other. I think you kind of, there's kind of a respect for each other, but, yeah, you know, a sure. little bit. But you're like, hey, you know what? I'm the guy, right? You know, what was kind of the energy going into, you know, that game? 
But that game was big because I think the I just got defensive player of the year. Ben got it two years prior, back to back. Or maybe he got it that first year, but he might have got it back to back. And that I think see Ben Wallace is like he really wanted to win and be the best defender, and he was. And then I was also at that time wanting the same exact thing, right? So I, I was able to get one, and I thought I would have had a couple more. But Ben, ben just Ben he earned them for sure because he's very professional. On top of being very effective and aggressive and strong, he was very centered, you know. So, I, but I feel like you know when I think about it, you know, just something to joke about or. I thought I could have had one or two mm. of those, you know, bringing me to two defensive player of the year was, and when I think about it, I'm always like, oh, wow, that's the type of career I wanted, mm. you know, but it's okay, you know, but, but well, Ben, I think, I, I mean, we were both battling and then you had Tim Duncan on the West side, but at that time it was, you know, it was Ben and myself who was really the elite defenders in the league. Right. So. The hard fall happened, you know, I mean, I met you, you know, one thing stories you told me, you know, anybody, you know, which you are like, that famous scene where you go light on the scores table, you were just trying to get away from it all, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you were trying to get away from the badness. It was, it was really weird because, you know, I don't want to like harp on how they edit the footage. Yeah. Because, you know, that was a long time ago. And no, I wasn't happy with it. But when, you know, when I, when you lie on a scores table, I heard a lot of people say, why would you lie on a scores table? That, you can't compare that to so why would somebody throw something at me? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't harm nobody by laying on the scores table. I was just, I mean, the only other thing I could have done was fight at that point. And my mind wasn't there at that point in time. You know what I'm saying? So my mind was like trying to finish the season. But if people got to think about it, the season before that, I got suspended in game six to go to the finals. And then Detroit went to the finals and they won the championship. So in my mind, I'm like, I got to be more focused. You see what I'm saying? So I rather than engage right away, Take it, you know, take a, take a second. And then, but as when I went on the scores table, everything started to happen. And then I, I started to get, just start boiling up and everything's just, it's, it's just no control. It, it, when that was happening, did you have, you know, a sense that this is going to get like out of hand? Like, for example, that's, cra- no, no. that's this crazy story I heard, which I want to know is true, which is like, I forget where I read this, which is like, you come back in the locker room and you ask, hey, do you think we're going to get in trouble for this? Right, right, right. right, right. Like, right. You know, so did you have a sense of like, hey, this is going to become actually, this is going to be like a big deal? Well, it happened so quick. You know, that's what people got to understand. I went from kumbaya meditation <laughs> on the scores table, right? And just, that's it. And normally, I don't think they ejected anybody in a timely manner, right? And I'm not the type to complain. I'm not the type to fight it in court. I'm, I'm just not the type. I'm just the type to address it straight up. Right. But, you know, I was there for five minutes. You know, nobody was ejected and I didn't do anything but foul someone. Right. So then at that point, then Ben Wallace started to throw, he started to throw his wristbands, which is, he was upset. It's okay. But he has nothing to do with that guy that threw the bear at me. So, but as Ben started to throw the wristbands, I was like, I, I was getting hit. So now I'm like hitting really upset, you know? So now my, my, my blood is like boiling at this point. Right. So then they just keep trying to get to me. So now I got, now I got to start looking. And then by the time I lay back down and then when the bear hit me, I didn't know who, at the time I didn't know, I just knew I got hit. But when I looked up, this is what people don't really understand sometimes about that situation. When I looked up, I saw somebody raise their hand like this. And it was all, that's all on tape. Yeah. And he was basically saying, oh, wow, you know, you got hit with the bear. That's what I thought. Yeah. Right. So 
Now, before that, I wasn't going there punching anybody. I was just going there to, hey, don't ever throw a beer at me in your life. Like, don't ever do that. But the crazy thing is, they bet fifty dollars because I met the guy. I know, I know John Green. Mm-hmm. You know, we became friends later. The guy who actually threw the cup. So he bet the gentleman who was like this fifty dollars. He said, "I bet you fifty dollars that you can't hit one on our test." So wait, wait, that's what happened. Like, wow. Have they seen you like at that time? Like, I would not want to mess with yeah. you, right? Or throw it's anything crazy, at crazy you. Story. Like, what were they thinking? It's, I mean, it's kind of it's not funny because like what happened. Yeah. But when you think about it, it's kind of funny. Like. Hey, I'm at a game. I bet you fifty dollars you can't hit Charles Oakley with a with a. I'm not messing with, with Charles Oakley. Ball. He can kick me. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, I mean, you know, it, it, it is kind of it is kind of wild. It's so long ago, right? Yeah, so yeah. Like, yeah. You can laugh about it now. Yeah, sometimes. I know. I, sometimes, it, yeah. The reason I want to talk about this, and you're right, because like, at the we can laugh about it now, but you know, yeah. and you know, the reason why you kind of your story after that is so inspiring is because how dark. The, the weeks and months after that were, right? So, you know, yeah. you get suspended. You get suspended the next season too, if I remember, right? Yeah, so you kind of, in the twice. prime of your career, you lose a big chunk of playing time, right? Yeah. You know? And so talk to me, because, because I think a lot of people kind of going through very low moments in their career, probably not on national TV, you know, with a documentary yeah. later like you did, but, you know, they get fired, yeah. you know, bad shit happens to them. They're feeling pretty low. They're like, hey, this is it for me. I have to go find something else. And, yeah. you know, and honestly, if you'd asked me at that time, people would have probably thought like you probably would not have had a career beyond that in the NBA. So what was it to live? What was it like kind of live through those weeks and months when the NBA was trying to make an example of out of you and Ben and Jimmy and all these guys? Like, what was it like to live through that? It was it was definitely dark in the beginning because like you asked a question in the locker room that I asked Steve Jackson, was it going to be a, are we going to get in big trouble? Because I just didn't know what was happening. And I'm just like, and I thought about it in my head. I said, oh my goodness, I might be suspended because it was just in my head. So I'm like, please tell me this is not true. Mm-hmm. So I needed some validation. And Steve said, yo, we are done. I'm like, no, my goodness. So, <laughs> and I'm playing my best basketball. I just came off defensive player of the year, averaging 18 points. And I got 13 more NBA and number six in MVP voting. So I come back the next year, I'm averaging 25 points, still the best defender in the league. That's MVP. Now I'm making a case for MVP, right? Mm-hmm. So there was just, it was, it was horrendous, right? So at that time I was staying in shape and then I was hoping that somebody had called me, say, Hey, we got to get you back. But that just didn't happen. Then I was working out and said, Oh my goodness, I'm not coming back. By the time March came, I'm not coming back. So I just, you know, stopped working out a little bit, whatever. I was working out, but I'm like, I got time to work out next year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So at that point, uh, I kind of got a little depressed and then I was going into the season depressed also. Mm-hmm. Even before that season, so my grandma passed October and it was a story that came out of my documentary that I went to Miami to go party, but my, my grandma passed on October 18th. I was kind of devastated at that time. I just didn't really know what to do at that time. So I was asking for retirement actually. With Sac- know, I, uh, Sac- Sac- when you went to Sacramento, right? You told your coach, Hey, I just want to not play, you know, just get me out of here. Yeah, I told Rick Allen, that was 2007. I told Rick Allen, 2006. Mm-hmm. And I said, I told Coach, I said, hey, I just, I'm trying to ease my way out of the NBA. If you could just like not play me mm-hmm. and I won't, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll make it look great. And he was amazing. He said, he said, Ron, we're going to go as far as you take him. That's what he told me. And I kind of got me back inspired. We was in last place in the West. And we came back, went to the playoffs, had a good run, you know, but it was, Rick Allen inspired me tremendously. Mm-hmm. It, so for, you know, I'm curious because I really want to dig into this because it's so dark and, you know, your story since then is so inspiring. A ring, 
you know, great stuff post-playing. So for people who are kind of going through that today, right? Like, you know, maybe they got fired, you know, maybe, you know, they had to, you know, we are, you know, obviously the economy, you know, is not exactly in a great spot right now. Like, what would you tell them, you know, about mental health? We're going to get deep in mind. What would you tell them, like, what lessons you have from your time? And I mean, yours is like, it's a national, like, we have a documentary now 20 years later, right? So it's a very different yeah, thing. Totally. But still, I think the dark ones, like, what, what advice do you have for people? You know, I, I think, like, just in general, being centered, everybody's going through different forms of adversity, but you could always, you know, stay centered, mm-hmm. stay, stay confident, you know, stay, you know, prideful and what, but if, if you're not going through a certain, like, circumstance, because you know, maybe you live in, you, you don't have as much money as somebody else, or whatever the case may be, all right, what are your intentions in your life? And just kind of always head in that direction and stay humble, you know, and stay mm-hmm. centered. And that's, mm-hmm. that, that's some advice I would definitely give people because every, it's, it's a lot of emotion that takes place with us. We're just human. But I mean, sometimes that can get in the way, right? So that's what I would, that's the advice from my own personal experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the other reason, which I think your story is so interesting is because when people look at you back then, they're like, really, you know, you're one of the most, you know, athletically gifted players in professional sports, right? You know, you're super strong. In, and, you know, I think that sometimes there's this idea of like, you know, you, somebody who looks like you, who's kind of like, you know, who's like, you know, nobody wants to mess with, you know, is going aggressively on the court, won't actually suffer mental health issues. But that's not true, which I think that's quite like, I think you being, you know, kind of open about it and talking about it, it's very interesting, right? Because at the time, I think we're a lot more maybe, you know, educated about this topic now you would not be the kind of person people like, hey, this person's actually going through a dark place because you'd be like, what? This, you know, he looks in great shape. He's a professional athlete. Like, you know, he, 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 what are you talking about? And I think, you've been, do you think that's true? Like, you know, when you had, you know, do you think that perception exists then? Do you think it still exists now? Well, I, I think so. I think more, probably not now. I think we understand that athletes are not just superheroes, you know, or superhumans. You know, um, everybody go through their different things. Before, yeah, I think before, if you came out as that, it's probably you're just weak enough. You're just not strong enough and you're too weak to, you know, play basketball or be on this team or or whether the media might say some stuff. And I think I just brought light to it, right? I just brought light that, you know, people be going through things. And at that, and at that time, I was, you know, still playing very well. You know, I was still young and I was still able to do my thing playing. And I thought that, you know, just being up having a platform like that, we, we can help people be, understand that it's okay to be vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. And as an athlete, you can make a huge impact when you come out and you're telling people, hey, I'm going through this, I'm going through that. And then other people are just inspired to help themselves and different things like that. So it's actually, you know, it's, it's actually really cool to see mm-hmm. like what's happening now. You know, and up in, now, of course, there's so many players, you know, kind of, I think inspired by you. I mean, you famously obviously shouted out your therapist after the championship. And, you know, now we have people like Kevin Love, who've been like pretty open about, you know, mental health, a lot of others like across sports. At the time, was it really hard? Because I think at the time there has kind of been a stigma, especially in professional uh, sports about like, hey, you kind of have to be strong, man up. And actually it's true for I think other communities, you know, I was, you know, like recently, you know, I had like a close family member pass away and I was talking to another kind of person of Indian origin. And one of the things they were talking to me was like, you know, oh, Indians don't go to therapy. Like it's not a thing that, we do. And, and, and so there's definitely kind of like some stigma in like certain communities. And back then, you know, you know, I, I you might have been the first person to talk about having therapy. You know, of course, you did after winning a title, which is huge. Right. But was it hard with people be like, hey, man, that's just weak or, you know, you just have to suck up. Yeah. Like, was it hard for you? 
I mean, yeah, you know, people just call, mostly people were saying, this guy's crazy. This guy just ate this therapist. And for me, it was like, you thank everybody for different things in these big moments and it's time to start getting, you know, I just felt like it was necessary to say thank you because mm-hmm. all I wanted was a title in the NBA. I wanted more, mm-hmm. but I definitely wanted a title. And, you know, for me, I just needed guidance through that moment. So, and, and sometimes people need guidance through different times. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be like a game seven basketball game. It could just be maybe your work. You know, it could be anything. And how, and how do you sit and understand that things would be okay on the other side? And I was like, wow. And we had so many great sessions. I got so many great sessions that I had with my therapist that I always wanted to share with people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's amazing. So, have you shared that with, you know, do, do other players later on, have they ever like talked to you about it? Or have they reached out about, you know, you were really open about seeking help, talking to a therapist. Uh, have you had any interactions with like other players in the future, like who are like much younger or just about getting started? Has that ever come up? I, I think so. I think more and more now, so, some people might reach out to me if they wanted to ask some questions or whatever, but that, that happened a couple of times where people, where players would probably reach out. I think, I think players are more open now, right? So mm-hmm. reaching out and letting, you know, hey, I, I see a therapist, mm-hmm. you know, uh, thank you or what type of therapist, you know, should I see? Because people I go see. through different things. Yeah. Got it. You know, you got anger management or marriage counseling. It could be parenting. It could be um, addiction, right? Yeah. So, and I see more and more now people just open to talking about their problems, which is great because you shouldn't feel bad about improving yourself. You know, you shouldn't feel bad about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, you know, for me, I think in recent years, I think Kevin Love has been probably, you know, one of the... Yeah, Kevin's. I mean, like him talking about having an anxiety attack, you know, in such a public fashion, you know, uh, during a game, and then everything's kind of done to talk about it. And I think just like you, I think one of the things that really works is like his credentials are undeniable, right? You have you got a ring on your finger, right? And you're saying, look, I won a title and I'm still going through this. And I think it, that really, really helps as opposed to be kind of a young guy or if you're kind of like a, you know, a role player, you've never really kind of like made it, then it's got started. But I think that's why you... You know, Kevin, lots of others, like in other sports doing it, it's very different. Let me ask you this. What do you think of the Ben Simmons situation? Well, I think I think Ben is interesting. You know, we all we all saw the games where we saw that he didn't shoot at times we thought he could shoot. You know, but I think, you know, when you're playing, he, he's doing so many other things well. He's probably expecting his other teammates to score because maybe he's not a scorer. You know, maybe he felt, and that's what you should do, by the way. If you don't think you can make it, then don't shoot it. Right. I thought that, you know, I thought he could have relaxed a little bit more. Cause, but you got to understand if you're Ben Simmons, if you go three for 10 from three, you know, or three for eight, like that's okay. You know, so you got to just be relaxed when you're shooting. Sometimes shooters or new shooters, we're called mm-hmm. new shooters who just learn how to shoot. Mm-hmm. They might hit short. It might hit the right side of the room. It might hit the back of the room. Mm-hmm. And then it, and that's a miss. And that miss is devastating. Right. That's why we see people, you know, not not be able to consistently shoot the ball, but what people what players got to realize is if you stay in rhythm, mm-hmm. everything's gonna work out for the team, right? Because if you're catching the ball in rhythm, you got you got to shoot it, you got to the layup, you know. So you don't you know you shouldn't be worried about who's around you if I'm gonna miss a shot, mm-hmm. right? So that's something that I think Ben could improve on because everything else is great. His mm-hmm. game is just incredible. I saw you on the. The Draymond Green show pretty recently, you know, which is fantastic. Yeah. I think Draymond talks about Steph's confidence, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Steph can, you right. know, miss like nine shots in a row and then do a heat right. check logo three. And without kind of him, you know, being impacted, 
by the previous nine charts, right? I think it's kind of what I'm talking about. Like, you, know, you just kind of, you know, where, do you, where do you think that confidence comes from? I mean, Steph is obviously top of his game, but now you see Dame do it. Yeah. You know, you see like, you know, maybe even people like Jimmy Butler, like mm-hmm. a lot of others kind of like, you know, a Trey, obviously, you know, part of the young guys. Like, where, where do you think that, that, that both that confidence, but also I'm just, I'm going to not think about all the shots I missed. I'm just going to, you know, back myself. Where do you think that comes from? Yeah, you know, I think that comes from your intentions. If your intentions are winning a title, you're not really thinking about, oh, I might miss the next shot. You're just trying to make shots. But and even if you're missing, you might you might say, hey, I'm in a slump. But sometimes you might not notice it because you're just trying to win. And that's those are the best players, the ones that don't notice the slump. But you also got to notice, like, if you're shooting too many threes, okay, now I'm going to start driving to the basket. Because very few players who drive the ball at the end, you'll probably see at the end of games, people taking jump shots and fadeaways. But you'll see a guy like Kobe, Derek Fisher, Stephen Curry, at key points in time, they're driving to the game, even in, the, even in their clutch <laughs> last quarter. Not a lot of people do that. You know, and, and I mean, that's just the difference, you know, between uh, just giving it that extra effort mentally. I had to learn that. I didn't have that, you know, when I first, before I got to the Lakers. I had aspects of it, but not everything. Is that like a conditioning question? Like, for example, I think you once spoke about, you know, somebody like Melo, right? Like, you know, when you were guarding him, right? Like, you relied on the fact that you were in freaking awesome shape, right? And and you could kind of like tie him down. Like, how much of it is kind of a conditioning thing when in the fourth quarter, your legs get tired, the jumpers get shorter, yeah. et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, conditioning is everything, especially with a guy like Melo, because if you don't guard Melo hard, he, he'll give you 50. Because he can shoot and he's strong and he's quick. So I, I, when I'm going at Melo, I'm trying not to let him touch the ball because I know once he touches it, now he, he's mellow. You know, he can beat you up the dribble. So I was in shape. I would actually work on my defense. That's why I was able to stay low for a long period of time because in the summertime, mm-hmm. I'm working on my defense. I'm sliding and doing things so I have to be in condition because then you got Kobe coming, you know, and guarding Kobe is really hard. So I'm trying to work on my conditioning, which is the most important. So uh, I want to, get into the Lakers in just a second, but talk to me about guarding Kobe because Kobe once said that you were one of the, you know, it's kind of a sign of respect, huge respect, which like, you know, you're one of the people he hated going up against because you used your angles, you know, you weighed like, you know, 270, 260, you, you're ridiculously strong, right? And But you, you're really good about the angles, your center of gravity, your weight, and, mm-hmm. you know, it was really hard for him. So talk to me about like, you know, defending like Kobe, like what was your game plan against him? Against him, I was always trying to make him work. And you couldn't really outwork him, but I definitely didn't want him not to be working. Because now you just call for him to get 60. You know, so with him, I would just try to push him and then see where it happens in the beginning of the game. So he will, oh, he would score a lot. But, this, but some games, I'll probably contain him for the first quarter. You know, maybe a little bit in the third. You know, he very rarely in the fourth, but maybe sometimes in the fourth quarter, I was able to contain him. So for me, I'm trying to cut him off. He's, he's a little quicker than me. He's not extremely quicker than me, but he's still you know, take, give him a step so I can make him keep driving and make him work. So that was like something like COVID, really difficult because any room you gave him, he can make a shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you get a little bit of room, he can, he can make a shot. He was, he was extremely difficult. It, 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 Iman Shumpert has this amazing Kobe story, which I think comes from his time with the Knicks, where you know, Iman's defending him, has an amazing three quarters, keeps the score down, has a couple of steals, whatever. At the end of the third quarter, Kobe goes to him and says, you got a great game. And Iman's like, 
it's like the third quarter, what's happening, right? And then, you know, Kobe just goes God mode in the fourth quarter, right? Like, and that's yeah. the thing, and it's like, and it's just like the confidence and, you know, the trash talking and all of that. That's just nuts. Okay, so I want to get to Kobe and Lakers. So Houston, then the Lakers, right? Kind of the second act of, I think, kind of your professional arc. You know, one interesting about going to Lakers is like, you know, what was it like on the team? This was the post-Shaq, you know, team, right? Like, you know, Kobe is still around, the GOAT, post-Shaq team. But you were kind of moving from, I would say, like, kind of like the guy to being like, okay, you know, they have Kobe here and we kind of like help like, So what was right. that mindset? What was that team like for you when you first got there? Yeah, it, it was a shift, you know, that I always tell people the year before that, I was averaging 20, about 25 in the, in the playoffs against the Lakers. You know, and, and they went to the finals and won. So I was scoring the ball, but when I got with the Lakers, my whole role changed. Because then you have Powell, you have Lamar, you have Fisher, you have Shannon Brown, Andrew Bynum. All the, everybody can score. Mm-hmm. Sasha, Jordan Fulmer. So I wasn't needed as much, you know, to score. Right? So that was like kind of, it was a little frustrating because I wanted to put the ball in the basket. But after a while, I just accepted that role. Because everybody was, all everybody wanted to do was win the championship. Mm-hmm. Walton to, you know, to all these guys, all they want to do is win, win the championship. So I, I, I took that mindset. You know, I really enjoyed being around those guys. So I actually want to dig into this a little bit because, you know, I think it's sometimes hard. When I spoke to, when I talked to players, I think it'd be really hard to go from like the guy, you're the man, the offense runs through you, you're the franchise player. Right. And then you go somewhere else. And maybe because you're older, maybe because there's somebody else on the team, whatever it is. And now, you know, you're a role player. Maybe you're coming off the bench. How does that affect you mentally? Like, for example, Melo talked about this with, I think, JJ about, you know, when he moved from, you know, kind of time with Denver, but then when he went to the Trailblazers, right, it's like, oh, it's actually a very different role. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're Melo and you're kind of used to being like the guy, right. Mm-hmm. Now we are like, well, not the guy, you're kind of part of a system. Like, and, Right. How does it how does it impact you? How does it impact players? Because it seems inevitable for a lot of I mean, LeBron seems to be battling father time and you know, seems to be the guy forever. But people yeah. inevitably get that. Like how does it impact them? Yeah, I think sometimes it takes you a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of time to get adjusted to it. You know, maybe your first year, let's say you lose some athleticism, it's your first year post being very athletic, and you just can't do the same thing you can do anymore. So then you 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 might try. Right. And, and you might have a bad season. Mm-hmm. I think the next season, then you start to ease into it. Like Carmelo, great player. And now he's playing a role, which is really hard to do. It took him like maybe a year and a half, two years, but he's all, but he's still playing and he's still playing great. You know, so you just can't, you can't be great for a long time. You got to be able to make that adjustment in your head if you want to have the career like Carmelo. Yeah. Okay. The Lakers, Kobe, how was he like to play with? How was he like as a human? Kobe was incredible. I think well, as a human, he's, a, he's an amazing teammate. Very hard, you know, at times because he wants the best, but he an amazing teammate. As a player, he was incredible. I mean, this guy had 25 straight points. He was in Boston. 25 straight points. All of our points. Nobody scored yeah. for 25 <laughs> points. It's like a third to the fourth quarter. And I remember sitting there like, All right, I want to win a title. And I'm like, this guy is really going to get me a ring. <laughs> I'm so weird with that, but I don't know if I had a ring if it wasn't for Kobe. When you say, you know, as a teammate, when you look at Kobe, right, you said he, he was just hard. Like, what does that mean in the sense of, like, does he ex- did he expect a lot from other people on the team? 
what how would that manifest itself on a day-to-day basis yeah i mean he expected you to work as hard as he worked and it's kind of hard to work as hard as he worked because he's in the gym at five in the morning you know nobody's in the gym at five in the morning (laughs) so and then when he gets to practice he's so prepared he wants you to be prepared also to knock down shots and different things like that so i I mean he, he was very hard but when you have guys like jordan farmer and fisher and these guys you can kind of brush off anything that feels like it's pressure yeah. And just focus on the game. And we still had Phil Jackson. So you had that balance of Kobe who's pushing you and Phil Jackson who's just going to keep you focused, you know. You know, ultimately you're going to do what, what Coach Jackson said to do. You once told me, I think when we met, you told me this great story about seeing Kobe, you know, for several hours just practice a jab step, right? Just that over and over and over again, yeah. which is just not. Did you did you ever feel competitive? You're like, hey, because I think you kind of always felt yourself as like, hey, I'm never going to let anyone outwork me, right? I'm going to put in the work at the yeah. gym, at the court, stay late. And then you have Kobe, you know, and we have all these stories about like him, like multiple, right? Is it, did you ever feel like I got to like outwork this guy? Well, yeah. I mean, for me, I was all about working hard and being the hardest worker. And when I met Kobe, I'm like, wow, this guy works extremely hard. So I remember, you know, ha- having to catch up. Yeah, wow. Because the, the summer, summer before I got to the Lakers, I wasn't in the greatest shape. You know, I was kind of out like in L.A., just having a good time. So I didn't get into real shape until like January, February. You know, I, I had to had look at myself in the mirror and like, hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm not in shape. And we're losing games at this point. Mm-hmm. So I started to really like overdo eating healthy, not going out, you know, so I, running more. So mm-hmm. even like in the middle of the season, I was like going through my own training here mm-hmm. that year. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I was trying to shed all the weight, you know, and then I got really clean and feeling good. No toxins, like maybe around like, you know, February, March, I started to really kick it in. And then once the playoffs came, I mean, I felt good. I, I was, I was about 260, 265 when the season started, but in the championship game, I was 250. Wow. 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 So I was 250. So I was able to continue to work, you know, and different things like that. You know, the, the thing about Kobe, I think interesting is like, you know, there are all these stories about like Kobe just chewing people out, right? When he felt like they, they were not his level. And there's a problem to, I think, a lot of people listening here because in the tech industry, people think about Steve Jobs, somebody who demanded right. that level of perfection and who'd be really mm-hmm. hard on you if he didn't think you were up to yeah. it. How did Kobe's teammates all take it? Were they like, we are in the presence of greatness, we deserve it. Like, with how people have had a different reaction. Like, how did they all take it? You know, some people challenge Kobe back. Some people would uh, just hear it, but then just continue to work. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear it, but you have to still, uh, it has to be a balance between, you know, what Coach Phil Jackson, what you do, mm-hmm. and what Kobe's asked of you. And it ultimately, it became like one, mm-hmm. right? And I think, you know, there's many different things that can happen in practice. Maybe you're playing one on one at an on the trail, and you can start joining. Or it's five on five, you know, different things like that. But with this competition, you know, it, it could be any type of, you know, kind of controversy. And I think guys handle it pretty, pretty well, especially this team when I first got there. You know, they were they were really able to handle, you know, the the, the passion that Kobe brought. Mm-hmm. You know, and then going out there and playing. It's a, it's, a, it's a great scene with Kobe, I think, in game, his last game when he had 60 points, when he was just like drooling at the mouth, just like so passionate. And I'm just like, that's just so incredible to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, that guy drooling because he's so passionate. He's all about the game. And he's, his mind is all in the game, you know, which is really, really incredible. Is there a 
favorite Kobe story or moment from your time there that you look back fondly on? I think my favorite one, I mean, him. I remember him just being in the back of the bus and just like chilling out, get good, good practice guys, you know, chat a little bit and, you know, always kind of taking care of whether it's family or business, you know, different things like that. Very focused things he loved to do, you know? Yeah. So he, I remember those moments and he actually inspired me a lot. So I once heard a story that he showed up in your room to ask you to get some beats going so he can rap. Is this true? Yeah, you know, Kobe is a writer. He's a writer. He writes books. And I remember, and I, I had Kobe's album when he had 99, I think. Wow. I heard, I heard Kobe's music, you know, and I thought he was a really good artist, right? And, but he did, he was like, hey, you know, come to my, he said, I'm going to come to your room, get some beats. And I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> I got some beats on my laptop. And then he's just rapping and stuff. And I think he wanted to battle, but he's a really good rapper. So I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to battle him. Man, there were a recording of that. It's going to be epic. Okay. And but he also said, I think if I remember, he also said he's really big on Jay-Z quotes. Oh, yeah. Jay-Z quotes. I remember him. Like, he could put a Jay-Z quote in any situation. Like, let's just say, oh, man, I'm having a bad game. He could say a Jay-Z quote. Or I say, oh, man, Kobe, me and you, we going to get him tonight. And he could say a Jay-Z quote. That just, like, makes sense. And I heard it so many times. I'm like, how can you, how can you pull a quote on the spot? Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I just, that's something I was like, this guy is different. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I would, then I want to get to probably, you know, if the kind of the, the malice in the palace is kind of a low light, this probably has to be, you know, probably the moment that a lot of people remember, you know, if we like the highlight, which is, you know, Kobe passed you the ball. As you famously said, he never passed you the ball. <laughs> and then, you know, you guys, I think we're up three, if I remember. And then you knock it down, right? So what, Walk me through that whole play. What was going on? What was going in your head? Well, you know, what was going through my head was just stay ready. You know, because we don't know what Kobe's going to do. He can go to the basket. He can shoot. But me, I had to stay in triple threat. So I was just trying to stay in my triple threat position. What we learned in high school or works to this day. And when he threw the ball, I could have just shot it. But Paul was closing out. And as Paul was closing out, I just kind of did a jab step. Mm-hmm. Just him pausing a little bit. And I just pulled the shot back. So that's all I was thinking was just do, just do what's right mm-hmm. in that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I could have had faked again and went, but it just felt right to small jab, come back and shoot. You know, when I look at the video, right, it's actually a contested shot, right? Like, you know, it's not like you're wide open. And were you thinking like, hey, game seven, if I miss this, I'll be in the bad highlights, you know, forever and ever, right? Like, was yeah. that like, all, I mean, I mean, there's an alternate universe where you miss it and people like just kind of like cursing you for the next 20 years as opposed to being, the, so, wait, is that going through your head at all or is it just like just um, instinct? Not at that moment because I'm, I, I, at that time, I still think I'm really good. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So even though I'm not playing the greatest because I'm playing with amazing offensive scores. So, you know, in that moment, I was, I pra- I'm practicing all the time. So it's really nothing to change. There's nothing to think about. I did, I did this plenty of times, you know, so that's what you work in the summer for. And, you know, I, I just truly believe, you know, when, when the shot left my hand, I was really, I was, I was actually had a new technique that I picked up with the chakras actually. Right. So I picked up, I started to learn about the chakras and one of the things that helped me out tremendously was, you know, we have so much that goes on in our head, mm-hmm. a lot of trauma. Mm-hmm. So I started to actually learn how to use my belly chakra actually. 
you know, because it's a, it's a lot of, you can tap into your gut, you know, you can tap into your gut. And I started to study like this, this stuff also. And rather than think with your chakra here, which has a lot going on, you can use the belly chakra, which has nothing going on. It's never been traumatized. Right. So now when I'm using, you know, the power from, from the gut, I'm just focused on what I really love, which is basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, it's like going through different things, the meditation, the therapy, things that open my mind up, you know, to different practices and different things like that. And all for basketball. This is sports therapy. This is sports therapy. And when, when that shot went in, you know, it, it felt like it was going. Did, did you feel, you know, did it felt it, like did it, it feel good when left your hand? Did it feel good? I couldn't tell, but I did everything as I would do it. So I can't, I can't tell how it felt, but, you, but I didn't change anything. Yeah. And you said contest was a, a contested shot, but it was still like he didn't block it and I was able to go straight up. But sometimes people shoot and they're off balance, right? That's when, that's, a, that's really contested. So that one was, it was small contested, but right. in my mind, I had a lot of room. Mm-hmm. Right. So g- yeah. the game ends, you're world champion. What does it feel like, right? Childhood dream of every kid around the world, you know, shooting hoops is to be there in that moment. You know, what was that like for you? I mean, it was just incredible. I mean, I, I didn't even realize I won until it was officially over. I, I like to play to the last. <laughs> and then one he said zero. I'm like, oh my goodness, we won the championship. This is crazy. <laughs> I was just like, I was like a kid in the candy store. It was just the greatest feeling to do something that, you know, you set your mind out to do, you know, was to, to be the best and to be a champion. I wasn't quite the best, but then I was able to be a champion. See what I'm saying? So that's yeah. like, I, wow, I got one. So that made him, it was, it was fun. Mm-hmm. What is the thing that you think for people who are, who don't know anything about the NBA, what is it, the thing, what do you think is the thing that like would surprise them? Or what do you think is like the thing which like, oh, you guys have no idea about the NBA? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot of work being, you know, running the NBA. I think what people, I think the relationships, there's so many amazing relationships that come from just playing with each other, being on the bus, being on the plane. Yeah. And people have friendships forever. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think that's the, that's the one cool thing about, you know, kind of being in the NBA. Cool. One of the things I was, you know, I remember talking to a couple of players about is people think about the playoffs, they think about the yeah. finals and think about the glitz and the glamour and the money. But number one, that's not a lot of the players. And number two, like you're playing 82 games a season. And you know, what is that like? How do you get yourself motivated to play 82 games? You know, and by the way, a lot of players, a lot of games may be meaningless, right? You may be not in contention. You may not be seeing playing minutes, but you got to stay in shape. You know, you got to be ready because you never know. Like, so what is that sort of training regimen, mental conditioning? Because there is a parallel to regular corporate jobs where you're going to have to go in and show up and do the work. And, you know, you may not be winning titles and you may not be, you know, Nike's not giving you a shoe, but you still got to do it and work your way up. So what is that mindset like? How did you think about the the whole season? Well, I think um, when when we came in the league, everyone was trying to finish games. Mm-hmm. Finish the season, play every game. But sometimes you get hurt, so you you won't finish an 82 season game. And I think I did it once in my career when I was with the Lakers, which I was really happy about. I, I'd never done it before. You know, so I think you want to do your work in the summertime for the most part, but it's really hard playing, especially back-to-backs. Mm-hmm. Playing back-to-backs. Flying, dehydration. Maybe you play forty-four minutes. You know, walk, getting off the plane, aching. Especially if you go from a from the gym to the plane and go home. You didn't get a lot of opportunity to cool down and stretch and stuff like that. 
So it, it, it's really rough and then going out there to play. But one thing I can say is when you get on the court, it don't really matter at that point because that's what you love to do. Right, but maybe if the whole ride was tough there, waking up in the morning, going to practice. But once you get on the court, you're trying to give it, give it your all. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the cool thing about, you know, basketball, because it doesn't, like you said earlier, it doesn't matter about the money, the, the glamour, the glitz. Mm-hmm. It's, just about the, it's just about the game. It, it, one of our friends, Tyler Cohen, who's a kind of an economist, George Mason, talks about how every profession has something which you have to do every day, like a pianist playing scales. Steph Curry running his, you know, his, his dribble routines and his, you know, pregame routines. And like, what is yep. the thing that you do every single day? And it's a very interesting question because I think for sports, actually very clear, right? You have a gym, you, you shoot around, you have a routine. But for someone like me or someone in the technology industry, it's often not clear. And I think yeah. it's a very interesting question. Think about it. Like, what is the thing that you're doing every single day to make yourself better? And then once you start doing it, you're like, man, I just love this. Like for me, it's like code stuff with computers, talking to people. And I'm like, I just love this stuff, man. And I'll just do it for free. I want to ask you about, uh, uh, we want to ask you about your time post playing, but uh, when yeah. I need to ask you, the, you directly the story, why the name change from Ron Artest to Bill? Yeah, I mean, it, the name change, it came from, it started with therapy, learning how to breathe and do breathing exercises and different things like that. Then that led to me being interested in different quotes, whether it's Maya Angelou, whether it's Gandhi, whether it's, John Wooden, that led me to meditating, which led me to the Buddhist culture, which led me to really understanding more about chakras and meditation, you know, the, the Asian uh, Buddhist culture. And then it, 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 I just grew a lot of interest in it, right? And then that led to meta. I was like, well, I really love, you know, the what this faith is about. And I said, I wanted to actually go down this journey a little bit. You know, and attach myself to something different. And that's kind of, that's kind of how it happened. But before, Meta wasn't always the initial name. It was a lot of other names that, you know, it was okay, but it, it evolved to Meta. And it took maybe four years to actually get to that point. And I, and I kept evolving anyway. You know, so I'm really happy. I'm really happy with the name. And World Peace, is it because people can't get mad at you? Yeah, you know, world, world Peace came, that was, that was at a time when I think we was like in a war, I think at that point. And it was kind of annoying, like, to go back and forth with wars and wars and wars. Yeah. You, you already got going through stuff and wars here. Like We're going through one the, now, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, and I was kind of frustrated. I was always affected by that. I think as a kid, the first, the big Iraq war, I was really, I think I was affected by that, maybe a little bit, watching it on TV. So I think like there was something where, you know, just have a little peace. We all go through things, mm-hmm. especially where I'm from. So it's like, if you can just have a little peace, I thought that would have been cool. And at that time, I was still transitioning you know, I'm coming off anger management class, but I'm trying to actually, you know, figure things out, you know, and uh, different things like that. So, you know, Metal World Peace was something that came and it was a journey that I, I wanted to go there. That's great. Talk to us about your post-playing career. What's it been like? What have you been up to? You know, people, you've been really active, like in front of the camera through, you know, playing for all these years. And then what happens uh, after? Like, what's your post-playing career like? Well, yeah, it's actually really cool. So, I mean, my kids, for one, just making sure they're in college and going on with their career. Yeah. So that's been kind of new because I've been away for a long time as a NBA player. One of my sons, Jerron Artest at USC, uh, he's at the Cinematic Art School, which is a really difficult school to get in. He was also at UCI, so he's a computer science developer. He builds, builds the blockchain games and different things. So one of I'm us. really happy about what he's doing. 
Yeah. <laughs> he is. He's doing really well. He was, he graduated when he was 15 years old and it's a really good student. Yeah. I was thinking about Yale, Stanford, MIT. So I'm, he, he's actually in school right now. I worked at Intuit last year as a developer. So I'm really excited about what he's trying to do with his new venture studio that he's building. But that's a lot of work because, you know, although he's doing his own thing, he's still my son, right? So yeah. we got to make sure that he's heading in the right direction, but he's doing great. Then I have my own businesses that I'm, that I'm working on, sitting around sports. You know, I remember years ago when I was wanting to get into tech. Yeah. So I want to start with basketball. Yeah. You know, because something I know. So building a league where we give creative, I mean, where we give competitive basketball experiences is something that I'm really focused on. Yeah. Tell us about um, uh, X versus X and what, what does it do? You know, it's, it's such a fascinating concept. Talk to us about the company itself. Yeah, it actually pivoted. Initially, we were going to do experts at sports. Yeah. People could sign up to that and find a place to play. We, re we realized that was going to be a little bit difficult. So we just pivoted to elite premium games. So now we give people opportunities to play with our competitive influencers, yep. our A-level players to play in these leagues. And these leagues that come to any city near you. Got uh, it. We have cash games, which is cool because you can be a, a pro player in your area. But where are you going to play for cash? You have to go overseas. Yeah. I want to bring that here locally so you don't have to leave your family. Maybe you want to stay here in America. And I feel like there's enough corporations out here in America to actually launch another league. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and different things like that. For, for the players, like when you retire from the NBA, you still want to play. You, you might not want to go overseas. So we're building something like that here. Mm -hmm. when I, you know, so it's, it's doing pretty well. You know, I'm really excited about it. And we're, we want to continue to build more. We actually launched our NFT. So we, we launched one NFT and it did pretty well. So now we're going to do a little bit more to support our league, which hopefully comes out in, uh, in mid-August. You know, one of the things I loved about the story is uh, when I met you a few years ago, you know, and you look, you are, you know, you're NBA champion. I grew up watching you, you know, and you talk and we talked and you're talking about like learning to build mobile apps and, mm -hmm. you know, learning to write code, right? And I was like, Wow, okay, next, but that's pretty cool because, you know, I think there's kind of like a, you know, the, you know like, it's like, you know, the learning right code often seems so nerdy and geeky and, you know, you're so cool and, you know, so what was the experience like, you know, like, because you've kind of gone pretty deep into building stuff. Like, what was that like for you? I got some crazy experiences. So, so one, when the app launched on January 29th and we had an event, the app was like a utility. We, we was already a utility before this NFT took away, which is why we make sense with NFTs now. But... So the app wasn't working. So I had to tell my staff, don't worry about the app. Everybody's like, the app is not working. I said, stop worrying about the app. He focused on the game and the influences. Focus on the game and the influences. That day I pivoted. I had a huge problem because the UX, the APIs, nothing's connecting to what I asked for when I saw it. And I thought that it would get done. Yeah. So I had to make a pivot that day. And a lot of things, <laughs> something else that happened was I, I wasn't, I had to learn how to, I had to write every button in the app for one, because mm -hmm. I didn't want to pay people. I didn't want to pay anybody at that time because we had only raised a little bit of money. So I didn't want to pay a project manager so much money because we needed to stretch the, <laughs> stretch the money. Mm -hmm. So I had to write out every single button and then tell the, the, the devs, this is what I need you to do just to stabilize the app. Mm -hmm. So anyway, to fast forward, we got some new developers now. We actually stabilize the app, but it's not our main source of revenue, <laughs> which is like really, which is really cool. <laughs> you know, we was able to pivot. Now we have revenue 
and I, a lot of, you know, and this is stuff that I learned, like coming from the Bay, I was going to the Bay. I really appreciate everyone has been mentoring me along. This has been like maybe almost seven years, mm-hmm. you know, kind of going down this journey. And we're actually building a tech company, mm-hmm. but we're going step by step. And that's the thing what people don't understand is those are tech companies, so much work. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I never built a tech company, but trying to build it, it's yeah. so much work, you know, sports technology. And I'm having, I'm having a great time. It's something that, you know, I truly am happy that I'm doing. But mm-hmm. that's such a cool story. Like, you know, Meta World Peace, NBA champion, now trying to like build his app himself. That's just crazy. I'm curious, is there, are there any similarities between running a software product development team in terms of culture, how you communicate and being an NBA team, or they're just totally different? It's different, man. I mean, um, you got to build culture. <laughs> you know, you got to know who you're hiring. Yeah. You know, you have to understand the technology. You know, at one point in time, when are you going to start focusing on revenue and, and, and marketing needs to stay low? You know, it was so many things that I was like, people didn't understand why I went really deep into this. I said, if I'm going to do this, I need to really give it 100% because this is really difficult. You know, to run, to travel to a tech company when you're not even a tech founder, mm-hmm. right? Wow. And yet, how do you save costs on devs? Because, you you know, I don't have a CTO or co-founder, right? So now I, I have to save costs, you know, on, on my devs. And it takes a while to get to different dev shops where you can eventually start saving costs, you know, on devs. So it's different things like that that I really appreciate, you know, kind of the journey. And it's, this is probably, probably something I've never done. Before. It's different from basketball, but now it's very similar. Now that we have a team, we got sponsors, we got things happening. Now let's, hey, let's work together. Mm-hmm. But before it was two people, mm-hmm. you know, it was two people, you know, and my first, my first pitch was really funny. My first pitch, I go to the Bay, I go to Sequoia. So I go to Sequoia and I, and, and somebody set the meeting up for me. I forget how. And then I have, I brought my binder. So my binder had all my ideas. <laughs> so I'm going to Sequoia to raise money. I never raised money before. So I bring it in. I said, okay, this is what I want to do. It's like stuff written in pencil, something mm-hmm. pen. So then it's like, it, was, it, was, it was such a humbling time, and, but they gave me a lot of help. He said, hey, th- this is not ideal, but if you want to really get into business, this is how you would do it, pointing me in the right direction. And that's all I need to hear it is once. <laughs> you know, that's all I need to hear it is once. Okay, thank you. And I just keep moving on. So, you know, I mean, it's been, it's been really, I've been very grateful because even my career, after, after the bro, almost every corporate deal I ever had, never really got a deal after that. But now to be back here, working with some of the smartest people in the world and having that opportunity, I always tell people, you know, you get a second chance. Mm-hmm. And I'm super grateful. I was, my first major in college was architecture. I was, you know, so I was trying to major in math. I just was going through things off the court, which led me not to, you know, t- to follow and pursue those. Mm-hmm. My son's a computer so I'm really happy where I'm at, you know, digital marketing sports. It just makes perfect sense, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm, re- I'm really excited about what, what we can do in the future. And I'm also excited that I'll be able to generate revenue for athletes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. it will be able to generate revenue for athletes. Some athletes don't know how to generate revenue. Yep. They don't know they can you know, make some money off NFTs or make some money on Shopify. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're in the media, they're talking about you top 20 all time. That's the opportunity for you to make sales, right? For merchandising. And, and this is a, something that I really feel in the future is going to, you know, what I'm doing to be able to right. really help my, my peers, people I've played for that, you know, I would love to help. First of all, yeah. I, that's a, I love that. I want to see that binder. Um, and uh, we set up a meeting. <laughs> uh, we set up a meeting. But 
Yeah, this is a love story. So good. I, um, you know, I wanted to say this is so. I like to tell my failure. I don't like to tell all my. I like to tell the failure. Some people, my wife would always tap me and say, "Don't say that." But I like when people know about the. No, no, people need I, to know I, because I think <laughs> you know. Look, you're you're meta. You, everyone associates you with NBA and success, you know. And I think yeah. for you to take your learnings, like you've really like done a, you know, you've had a really successful career in the NBA. And then you've turned around and basically become a student, like starting from scratch in technology yeah, for sure. and starting over. To me, that is a really inspiring story because for Shriram and I, tech has basically been our entire adult life livelihood. You know, this is basically all we know. If you ask us to play basketball, we would, For you know, Shriram's actually really tall. He's like 6'6", six, six, so he has no excuse. I know. But, I, you, know, I, I, you know what, I, I can, you know, I'm, I'm, I got some post moves, Meta. You don't know that. You know, you don't I, I think for me, it's like, it's so inspiring that you were yeah, able to like pivot completely and start over and get to a point where, you know, you now are basically building, running this company. And you started out basically being the CEO, the CTO, the project right. manager, everyone. Mm -hmm. Like this is this is the way to do it, right? Like right. when you start, you start small and you're basically doing the whole thing yourself. So for me, it's like, yeah. it's incredibly inspiring. It, you know, if you can do it where you have no background in tech and you're coming in and learning this, people who are in tech today have no excuse, basically. Yeah. I mean, some of the things I learned was incredible. Like I learned how to, how to use Klaviyo. I learned how to use GitHub, you know, and AWS. Amazing. You know, and Trivial. <laughs> and uh, all these, you know, and Segment and all these different resources that I was, you know, Airtable and using Asana and using all the, I learned so much where I'm so grateful because now I'm able to help even the young people. Yeah. People come to me for help. It's so cool. Yeah. I launched another healthcare company called Easy Care Link. I tried to tell nobody about, but it's a healthcare company for the shortage of nurses that we have. Mm. It's doing well, revenues and up. And I was able to help that company, a female founder from the Philippines. Wow. You know, came here as a nurse, came here poor. And she saw a problem in, in the hospitals, right? And, that, and I'll be able to give advice like cap table advice, legal, you know, it's like, it's like, I'm so grateful. That's great. Because so people grateful. will trust you now. You've like been through this journey. And so people really I'm need you and they can trust you. I'm not like the best. I'm not like, per but I'm saying I can help. Yeah, but <laughs> you see, sure. if there's another founder going to Sequoia, they know what to do because they can talk to you first. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I can tell you the mistakes. <laughs> you know, first of all, I think there's going to be a bunch of product marketers and the companies that you mentioned who listen to this is going to be like, what the F? Like, we need to get like some meta on some sponsorship deal. Like, we don't know he's using this. You might be getting some inbound right after this. No. You're going to be like, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, like, I mean, ad table people, if you're listening, right, reach out to meta. But, you know, one thing I love about Meta is, you know, I think when you're in the tech industry for a while, you often meet people who are kind of at the top of other industries. And sometimes, not all the time, sometimes when you meet them, they come in with this sort of like air of, hey, I know everything, mm -hmm. right? Like, and you guys are the nerds, right? You guys are like, you know, the people who are kind of out of shape in school, but, you know, and just, I need you now, but I know everything. And I remember when I met Meta, and I would say my whole image of Meta was kind of like the brawl and then like the championship. First of all, he's just the most nicest, warmest, amazing human, which is kind of clear here. But the second part of it was like, he was so unafraid of asking very simple, basic questions, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, which kind of really opened me up because I was like, oh, you know what? I can actually, you know, talk to you about like building an iOS app or, you know, raising a funding round and, you know, and, Mira was like, you know, he was so clear about like, you know what, I'm an NBA champion, but this is new to me and I don't know anything. And I'm like kind of starting at, you know, ground zero. 
and which I think is such an admirable but rare quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it sure was ground zero, and it was definitely scary a little bit because you have that competition. You don't want to put too much emotion into it, mm-hmm. and you know, and and you know, I really believe how I play the court is going to be a business. And if I can fix some things early, when I'm in business, I'm going to be successful. And I really believe in my, my goal, which is to have a, a great league here in America for people that don't have the access and then go from there mm-hmm. and make it a tech company. And from that perspective, when I found out what I had to do to do what I want to do, which is keeping stats in the app, you know, uh, <laughs> giving away NFTs, you know, winning NFTs, like all this stuff that I want to do. I'm like, okay, in order to make this work, I'm going to have to learn a few things. I just did. You know, that's how when, even you met me at Starbucks at seven in the morning and then people like yourself, you know, I'm listening, going home and telling my wife, hey, I learned some really cool stuff too. And then I'm able to tell my team, hey, I think we probably should be doing this. That's and it was cool. times I didn't take advice from people, which I got some stories about. <laughs> and I have to say, when people think you, the, the image they wouldn't have, and maybe they should have from now on, is you logging into a segment dashboard with, you know, GitHub and a terminal scrolling code and that side. Like, that's like, you know, that's like, that's like the mental image. It's, people want to say, you know, yeah. I think, you know, one interesting thing is like, you know, you get a lot of players who, you know, look, if you're LeBron, you've got it made, you have like a, you know, the next, you know, you, know, you have so many things going on and all the top players do, right? Still working hard too. Yeah, I, it, it was, but for a lot of other players, right, like, you know, they don't know what to do when their playing career is over. And sometimes they want to get into tech. Sometimes, for example, a lot of people are trying to get into podcasts. And people like JJ have been fantastic at it and Draymond's doing it. A bunch of others are doing it. Andre's doing it. Uh, what advice do you have for players who are like, hey, you know what? Like, you know, I'm closer to the end of my career than the beginning. I'm in my 30s. I can kind of, you know, I'm not done yet, but I want to kind of set the roads to kind of have a career after that. Like, do people talk to you? What do you tell them? Yeah, I would say, I mean, what I did was, I, I said, I want to do a couple of things, but I want to give my all to it. And I was trying to figure out what that was. So initially I wanted to get, get my series seven. I wanted to do full, just full investing. I was going to do digital marketing, which I'm doing now coaching, full-time coaching or being an artist, like a musician artist, which I really love. When, when I was asking myself these questions, I said, okay, do I want to be away from my kids? Like I was already away 18 years. So I kind of threw the musician part mm-hmm. away, which I really love. Then coaching the same thing. I, I was like, Great opportunity, but I'm not prepared to be away from my kids right now. So I couldn't coach. Then, then the Series 7, I studied for it. And meanwhile, I have a business management company that does athletes' taxes. So we got a bunch of big athletes and boxes that you know. And I invested in another female founder, mm-hmm. which I'm really happy about. She's able to do her thing. But <laughs> I said, I would get my Series 7 so I could work in the office. But I didn't want to be around numbers all day. So then I said, okay, let's do digital Vancouver. I did like a two-week course wow. there in Vancouver and Amazing. just like studying. And I said, if I have the mental endurance to do this, cause I see a huge opportunity for athletes to make money if they understand what's happening a lot. So that's kind of where it started at. And I said, if I have the endurance to do this, I'm going to do it. When I found out that I loved it, I said, okay, boom, just go head down and, and just go. And that's kind of like, and now I'm, I'm ready for these moments. I'm building my own company. I'm also partnering you know, they got these new innovative technologies like NFTs and understanding where the future's going. I'm able to get involved right away mm-hmm. or even revenue generating opportunities, you know? So I'm really happy where we're at. Before I wasn't ready for Shopify. I wasn't ready to connect Shopify with Amazon and do my Facebook ads. 
and so look, look alike customers. Oh my goodness! Look alike audiences. Audience. Oh my goodness! I worked on that. I fell through that. Oh my goodness! I'm like, what is all this stuff, right? And I'm like, oh wow! If I can, if I can learn this or, or partner with people, whatever, we can make tons of money. You know, I'm like, we can make a lot of money just using your brand. You know, so that's something that this is so cool. So oh my goodness! Better world peace. Beginning to look like audience. Like, please do it, man. Uh, I just want to say, you know, we kind of out of time, but I just, I just want to say, your story is so inspiring. It's like a true hero's journey, right? Growing up in adversity, make the NBA, you know, almost losing it all, but then coming out the wiser, winning it all. But I think honestly, it's not just winning it all, but then finding a way to give back, you know, through mental health. Through you know all the stuff you're doing, helping all the founders, you know I just love that, and also just you know your mindset, right? You know people just see this for the last hour and a half, and you know, you're just willing to be like, hey, I'm a big man, I'm going to learn everything, yeah. and look at you like writing code, or look at you figuring NFTs, look at you helping these people, and having no sort of embarrassment about being like I'm new and no ego about it. It's just so inspiring, you know. You deserve all the success, and I'm sure going to be even more successful, like crushing it in the tech industry, right? Does you know, and that's going to be the highlight, not the game seven three. I will be the first to let you go without asking. We did show before Game Six. Who you got for the series? I got Boston in six and Warriors in seven. Okay, then. Wow. Yeah, you have it. Okay. Meta trying to win some love back from the Boston crowd. It was still. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, Meta, so just, I mean, you're such an amazing human. You do live up to your name. It's such a privilege. You know what? You got to come back and see us more so, some other time. This is so amazing. Absolutely, man. I, I really appreciate that. When you told me you wanted to invite me on. I was like, wow, this is really cool. I see what y'all doing online. And it was, I thought it was a great, great opportunity. And uh, I really appreciate it. This is such an honor, man. Thank you so, so much. And everyone, thank you for listening in. This is amazing. Until next time. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Good night.